This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. Welcome back to Nightmares and Dreamscapes. It's a Stephen King adaptation podcast. We're talking about Apple TV's Lizzie's story. And I'm Joe Lipset. And I'm Terry Menard. And once upon a time, there was a man who was so narcissistic enough to call his story <laughs> Lizzie's story when it was really a, actually a story about his troubled life. Oh my gosh, Terry. I didn't even know what to do with myself when it began <laughs> because I just said, wait, no, Terry and I already put this to bed. We said no more flashbacks. We're done with the flashbacks. There's nothing new to discover about Scott Landon's life. We can just move on. The moment it flashes back and we're back with poor young Scott with his mm-hmm. horrible daddy yeah. sitting there and he's making him a moldy sandwich. I'm like, mm-hmm. But we why? had a whole episode devoted to their relationship. Do we yes. really need? I mean, granted, I did think that it was a I hate to use the word nice, but it was an interesting twist that mm-hmm. ended up killing his father. Uh, it was very um, surprising to me, I guess. OK, partly because of how I'm not sure what the term is, bloodthirsty, like how un- unceremonious he just sort of dumps the body, how like planned yeah. it feels, how mm-hmm. A little bit sociopathic, it feels, uh, to just do Uh that. I mean, I don't know. (laughs) I thought there was going to be a little bit more struggle. You know, we're so used to seeing people say, kill me, put me out of my misery in horror movies. And the person says, no, I can't. No, we have to have this big back and forth exchange. And here it's like, hey, I sent you on a bull hunt. Just, uh, you know. Uh, Let me go grab that pickaxe and I will just end this for both of us. I'm done with you, Dad. You already cued me that only one of us can get off of this farm, and it sure as fuck is me and not you. Yeah, and then we have him tie him up, drag him out with his little tractor, and Mm -hmm. boom, dumped in the well, never to be seen again, apparently. Because apparently the cops in this are just... Oh, God, no. Yeah. No, I thought it was the cutest little murder cover-up ever. <laughs> just watching him climb up onto that little tractor, drive around, super slow-mo. Yeah. Uh, it was adorable if it weren't so horrifying. <laughs> right. Here's the thing. Would this have played better if this had have happened in that other episode and it had to just been an entire episode of Scotland and Backstory? I don't honestly know the answer to that because this was actually kind of an extended part of this whole episode. And I just right? like, do I really, that episode was so long as it was, I mean, it mm-hmm. wasn't so long, but like, it was like what 47 ish minutes. And I'm like, do we, would we, would I really like it as much if we added an additional 20? I just, I don't like the fact that this is sort of the, the final twist or the final surprise or mm-hmm. the final aspect of the story that was left unsaid between the two of them. It just, I don't know. And you mentioned off air, Joe, that there's a question here of whether we set ourselves up or whether Stephen King has set us up. Mm -hmm. But like if your story is called Lucy's story and the intent behind it is sort of a love letter to your wife and the intent is supposed to be this sort of ennui about, you know, I'm had a brush with death. I could die. 
I hope that my wife is able to move on afterwards mm-hmm. and progress past the Stephen King name or the Scott Landon name. And yet we have a, a series that is so focused more on learning about Scott and learning about mm-hmm. his life than it is about Lisey. And we don't even really get much in the way of what her life is going to look like afterwards for a movie that is about grief is a bull hunt, she says. And this is about her letting go. We don't really see her moving on. No, it's very firmly about her letting go. Hence the scene where she goes back into Booyah and she watches Scott in his weird transparent plastic shroud disappear into the water (laughs) and it's gorgeous and all of that, not refuting any of that. But this is all about him and her like the end of this relationship. And I am left with absolutely zero clarity as to what Lizzie's story is or where she goes ahead in the future. Like, was I happy to get a brief glimpse of the sisters as children and their father made them, you know, the Hollyhocks boat and we get to see them playing around and having a bit of a happy playtime adventure? Sure. Would I have liked to see a version of that but drawn out and something richer and deeper and more meaningful yes because honestly i didn't need more scott in this episode i didn't need final twists about how he killed his father i didn't need to say goodbye to him we've said goodbye to him this is episode eight where is lizzie's story (laughs) terry Every time we feel like she has agency or she's given agency, Mm -hmm. the story seems to undercut her at every single turn. And I thought it was interesting that she goes back into the Booyah Moon one last time and sort of, you know, she sees, like you said, Scott with his, I don't know, I kind of give me like a a baby's cowl, cowl, like Mm -hmm. motif. So she sees that she like gives sort of a salute to the the long boy is like an understanding between the two of them i guess but yeah. like so there there is something there that i thought could have been interesting because you have a woman that is you know on the verge of letting go but is mm-hmm. unable to help herself because let's be honest they've been married for a very long time there's that connection there they have that right. love there and so if you had that ability to go back to this magical place that mm-hmm. basically created your husband and you could go back there there's that allure that pull that would easily make you want to keep going back to that same place and over traumatizing yourself. And I thought, Oh, yeah. are we going to get this aspect of it? And we no, don't. Absolutely not. <laughs> and so again, every single time there's a moment where the story could be about Lisi, we mm-hmm. instead are having her reaction to the fucked up life that, that Scott has had. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> it's just so disappointing. And we mentioned this off air as well. So we did have the opportunity to cover The Outsider, another Stephen King property that one aired on HBO. And it feels very similar where, like a lot of Stephen King properties, there's so much interesting ideas. There's so much going on. And then somehow the story just seems to run out of steam at around the halfway point. And then we're left dragging our heels, wondering does he even know what's going on? And obviously the big difference here is that he didn't write all of The Outsider, the TV show, rather. He did write the entirety of this, and it felt like such a close collaboration with Pablo Lorraine that I really thought that we were going to get something more focused and more centered and really carefully thought out. And here it just seems like 
he never really got a handle on who this main character is. You know, I feel like we spent so much time with Julianne Moore's Lizzie, and I still don't really know anything about her or who she is. You know, we've made so many jokes about her mouth acting throughout this whole series. And I feel like that's the thing I'm going to take away from this performance. Not, oh, wow, what a rich, complicated, nuanced woman. It's very much like, I like the plot points involving her character. But yeah, a woman with no agency who doesn't know how to dress herself because her clothes are really (laughs) ill-fitting. They so are. It's like, how do you make Julianne Moore look frumpy and dowdy uh, and just kind of ugly 90% of the time. It's impressive. It is impressive. And I was so I was thinking as you were as you were talking as I was, I was rambling, that, I'm sorry. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> as you were you were talking cuz you had, you'd brought up a little bit earlier the the final almost, almost final flashback. Well, I guess the only flashback we get of her where she is seeing, you know, the the joyful childhood that mm-hmm. she has. And it was a moment that I was like, "Ooh, that is actually kind of interesting. Why right? didn't we see more of this? In particular, nope. if this is a story about these two people who found each other and one had a terrible life in the beginning and she saved yep. him. And then she also afterwards had a terrible life and he ended up saving her. That's an interesting Mm-hmm. dynamic right there but instead we don't see any of her childhood we don't see the kind of i mean in that in that frame of mind it was almost a picture perfect childhood i mean her father was the opposite of mm-hmm. scott's father her relationship with her siblings seemed to be pretty good from this one brief moment that we mm-hmm. see of their childhood it's like it's a fairy tale whereas his is a nightmare now that is an interesting dynamic and that is an interesting dichotomy that would be really cool to have explored through eight episodes of how their stories crisscrossed each other and then so yeah i just i I see that and i see what could have been in this and i know typically as critics we want to judge what is in front of us and what the author is giving us vice what our expectations are but i have this issue when the story is lisey's story but it's not about lisey nothing about this feels like it is her story no, no. And folks, maybe we are harping too much on something like, oh, well, that's just the name. That's the name of the book. It's the name of the show. But that's not necessarily what the story is. But there's a power in naming things, right? Mm-hmm. Like think of how much of this series is about the naming of places, about things like Booya, about mm-hmm. Bool, about finding out who people are through names. And I'm sorry, you just, you can't call something Lizzie's story and then do everything but tell us Lizzie's story or say, oh, well, the Lizzie's story is actually the Scott Landon story because that's kind of shit. Yeah. So, okay. If we're looking at this as Stephen King writing about a time in his life that he almost died, because that's the, that mm-hmm. was the impetus for the story. Yes. This feels like a deeply personal story about King. This feels like a deeply personal story that he is getting through by Mm -hmm. facing his own mortality. So from that aspect of it, I would say that this is a successful story about what it would feel like to have your life just like disintegrate and be worried for your wife and the people that lived after you. I can see this as being sort of like that. But I just I don't know. Again, like you said, with the name. It feels as if we're being a little disingenuous about what the story is about and we're selling something Mm -hmm. other than what the story is actually about. Yeah. If this is about your crisis of faith in 
the face of trauma, then make it about a character who is on the verge of death. Like do a horror Citizen Kane for a novelist and make it all about, okay, what was my life? How did I get to this moment? How did this woman anchor me and keep me tied to the real world when I kept being sucked back to this imaginary world that I was drawing all this creative energy from, but it also fed my trauma because of my terrible backstory. Like that all sounds great, you know, and maybe then it's Scott's story, but you're cueing me to expect something and you're foregrounding these three women and their relationship and how this woman is being terrorized by a crazed fan. And really at the end of the day, it's all about, oh, well, my famous husband, like in a way, this actually justifies everything that Jim Dooley was saying. She really is just the wife. Unfortunately, yeah, I, I can't disagree with that statement. And that's horrifying because Jim Dooley is an alt-right, creepy, horrible person. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't want to belabor the point. Maybe now that we've raised the Jim Dooley-ness of it, we can talk about the best part of Let's finale, talk about Terry. the best part. Yes, yes. absolutely. Because <laughs> this opening was fantastic. Yeah. I loved everything about it. I loved the the fact that it was kind of giving me a little bit of Jurassic Park vibes with mm. the way that they weren't showing the creature. Yeah. It was like the rustling trees and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But I, I, it gave me that sort of, ooh, there's something there and it's going to burst out at any moment. Yes. And then when we finally see up close and personal this creature that has been lurking in the in the background and we've seen brief shots of his horrific bodies on face, we see him actually moving and it actually gave me Freddy Krueger vibes from like, you know, hmm. uh, the Dream Master where we see like his his body and the, the bodies are all. Yeah, 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 within yeah. It. it was giving me that less body horror, less like, you know, society grossness. But like right. it was still giving me all of these like poor souls that have been trapped, I guess, in this mm-hmm. realm and have found a bigger form to be. And it just it was giving me like all of this fantastic horror in your face moments that I just. I loved. Yeah. And I remember we spent really the last couple of episodes talking about how we wanted to see some kind of satisfactory end to Jim Dooley. It was inevitable that he was going to meet his end here in the Booyah Moon. But I almost love the subversion of, okay, we're going to give it to you, but we're not going to give it to you when you expect it. Because he ends up getting picked up and you think, oh, is that it? Is he just going to get a little squished? And then he kind of gets slammed down into the ground. And then we see him get dragged and it's good stuff. And then we see him almost cannibalized by these damned figures that comprise the long boy. And that's horrifying. They They rip rip him him apart. apart. And that's exactly what you wanted last episode. You were hoping for. And I was like, ah, Joe got that right. Because they were fucking ripping him limb from limb, head from body. And it was. mm. And the funny thing is, is that you also think that, okay, well, that was satisfying. That's the end of it. And now we can move on. And then later on, his various body parts show up in the pool in the real world. And ooh, I liked it. <laughs> that moment was so great. And and again, we we've talked before about Pablo's staging and and his mm-hmm. cinematographer. And this was a beautiful shot of the shot. It's underwater. It's looking up at the surface through his mangled body parts. Yes. Up at Lisi looking down at him with her arms crossed. And it's like this 
perfect encapsulation of this destroyed body and her just like, yep. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. I loved it. I kind of also loved it as a bit of symbolism in the way that the waters have been polluted. So mm. she she had to bring Jim Dooley to this world. She had to engage the long boy. But in so doing, she has also lost a certain amount of innocence. Because remember, we were introduced to Lizzie in the pool for the first couple of episodes. This is where she was doing all of her reflecting and her pondering. Mm. And you get the impression she will never use that pool again. Yes, absolutely. You're right, because the the whole season begins with her kind of floating in that in that pool. And Mm -hmm. it's like mysterious. And now you're right. That innocence is gone. And it is. I wouldn't want to summon that pool with right parts. (laughs) Gross. (laughs) We also Uh. get some good humor. We get some good, really good humor in this, though. I, I really loved the first thing that comes out after she leaves the Booyah Moon. And she and Darla and Amanda hug and they have that moment. She's like, you lied about the gun. And Darla's mm-hmm. like, yeah, I did. You want to get into that now? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's such an offhanded comment, but it's like, really, bitch? <laughs> We're having a moment. You just survived a fucking murderer. Mm-hmm. And you want to talk about the fucking gun. Well, it's confirmation that the relationship between the three sisters, despite everything that they have been through over these eight episodes, has not changed that dramatically. So Darla and Lizzie are still going to be in it. Uh, Even Amanda and Darla get a bit snippy with each other when they realize in that first scene, when they realize that Lizzie has gone over. And Amanda's just like snippy with Darla. And it was pretty enjoyable. I love it. I just I love their relationship. And I wanted more. I wanted more of them, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. I mean, I do think that's one of the other things that bothered me about this finale, not to sort of swing it back to the negative, but so much of our time is dedicated to the aftermath of what happens to Jim Dooley. It only comprises 10 minutes of this finale. So we are in and out of Booyah Moon and he has ripped apart in 10 minutes. And then we have 47 minutes left. And we get so little time and energy dedicated to what remains of the relationship between the three sisters. As we said, there's no hint of what Lizzie plans to do with her life moving forward. And instead, we have to spend it with times like, oh, she went and testified in front of some grand jury that we don't even get to see. And she and some police officer get to have a little, "Mm, well, if he's dead, I won't ask questions. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Is he dead? Mm, Wink, wink. You'll never find the body. That was Pete rich white woman bullshit right there. I'm sorry. (laughs) When when he's like, he's, you know, he's saying, you know, Dan was a good officer and a good friend. Dooley shot him like a dog. Uh, If something happened to him, I wouldn't cry myself to sleep at night. Would you, Lisey? And she's like, no, I wouldn't. And he's like, well, someone will stumble upon the body. And she's like, I don't think they will. And he's like, is there something you're not telling me? And she flat out says, yes. Yes. (laughs) and that was it i'm like this is peak white rich and privilege right there and i'm just like it really kind of like soured me to be honest i know that stephen king meant for it to be sort of like a "Mm, got you bitch but like yeah it was not it it was not sassy enough it just felt it didn't (sighs) satisfy and honestly it felt really badly written and acted by both of them Mm -hmm. like this this felt like a subpar I love a Lifetime movie, but this felt like a, ooh, cop is circling in on a scorned woman who killed her adulterous husband mm. kind of territory. Mm. 
And that has a time and a place, but it is not in the season finale, sorry, series finale of Lizzie's story. No, absolutely. (laughs) But you're absolutely right. I mean, as far as we know, nothing comes of any of this. So she was able to lure a man to his death, put the body parts in her car, dump it over a bridge into a river, which P.S. Yes, Lizzie, someone would absolutely find those body parts because just because you throw them into a river doesn't mean that no one will ever discover them i mean to be fair we did have you know scott dumping his father down the well on his land and the cops never found that body so in lisey's story anything is possible (laughs) joe apparently hiding a body and dealing with idiot police officers in this universe is just dead easy it really is (laughs) okay so as as much as i am down about this sort of Scott and Lisey aspect of this of this finale, I will mm-hmm. admit I did get a bit teary eyed when it was going through their life. Uh, I okay. will admit, OK, for some reason there was something about seeing all of these scenes that we have seen throughout the series because they were all plot points throughout this entire eight episode. Mm-hmm. And it's probably manipulative on their part, and it probably just hit me at a weak it moment. Is. But the way yeah. that it was it was shot with them it encompassed their their relationship and i guess i was sort of taking this as like a looking back again at stephen king his life mm. and his wife and sort of that kind of coupling there because i know at some point in the in the future we're not going to have stephen king around right it's just we're not going to the laws of nature are going to dictate it at some point and i guess i don't know if i'm ready to embrace that as a fan oh sure you know and so i guess watching that there was like that that moment just sort of like triggered something in me and it actually got mm-hmm. me a little teary-eyed if i'm being honest it was really well done because there were moments in here where i just thought oh wow these two actors that i quite like are really horribly miscast in this because mm-hmm. i don't think they have any romantic chemistry and for so much of the series it depends on them being the soulmates who have really saved each other there were whole sections in this episode where i just thought oh wow i don't even think these people like each other and then we get to this montage and there is something powerful and captivating and you're right deeply romantic and emotional in watching them as we kind of see this encapsulation of a marriage and it ends on the beach which is where they got married and we see him just kind of walk away and she's left with her hand empty and there is something quietly powerful about that so is it manipulative yes but is it effective also yes and then we get the final moments of the episode where she says, I'll be okay. And she turns the, the photo over. I mean, it's, it's a, a very writerly nose, thing yeah. and it is on the nose, but yeah. it does, it did kind of give that finality. Like, I don't think anyone in real life is going to be like, I'll be okay. I'm going to turn over this photo now and just sort mm-hmm. of ignore that you have ever existed. But I don't know. There's something about the way that everything led up to this moment of like Darlin' Amanda saying, is Scott still there? And he's like, no, he's gone, but I'm mm-hmm. not. And then do you want to get something to eat? And then it was like this sort of, yep, okay. I don't have to linger in the past. I don't have Mm -hmm. to constantly traumatize myself through wondering what ifs and and wondering about Scott's life. I'm okay to move forward. And so from that aspect of it, I thought that that moment actually worked for me, even though it is very manipulative and a little... um, a lot on the nose. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't have minded it had we not then also gotten the lighthouse turning on one last oh. time and then going back out. I was like, no, it's one or the other. 
don't mix your your metaphors. <laughs> Uh, well, also that, and I realized that there's a lamp made out of a pirate ship that was on yeah. the floor next to it. And I thought, wouldn't it be fun if that turned on at the end to signify, oh, Ooh. this is a new chapter in Lizzie's story? Because, of course, we've seen a lot of boats associated with her history. Mm. But no, lighthouse, a lighthouse. <laughs> Fucking lighthouse. Like a lighthouse. Uh I do have one other minor criticism, Terry, and this might okay. shock you because oh. we spent a lot of time praising Clark's music and score throughout this. And I don't know if it was just something to do with my screener or the mood that I was in, but I found the music so overbearing and so loud in this final episode that it was actually taking me out of moments because I just thought, oh my God, Clark, ease off on the violins. <laughs> Uh, it definitely embraced these sort of horror movie cliches, I would say, of like scores in this last episode. I thought that yeah. the beginning was was great. The, there's an ominous sort of rumbling score to it. And I mm -hmm. did like at a specific point where there's this moment where it's like scary and ominous, but then there's a hopeful melody that sort of pops in towards towards it. And it's this kind okay. of pull between is this scary or is this triumphant? And there's, there's one mm. moment I can't tell you what it was, but it was like this moment that like really clicked for me musically, but you're right. A lot of this, particularly in the very beginning. And then also towards the end was a little boisterous. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it almost felt like they didn't quite trust that we were still invested, which is weird because it's episode eight, folks. It's the finale. Like, we know that you're ramping up to the end, but also we've been here with you for nearly eight hours at this point. It's okay to, to still hold something back. Yeah. So, okay. So I did find my note and it was the part where she goes to approach the long boy at the very end. And she okay, has the, the shovel. shovel. She yeah, grabs the shovel. And there's like this ominous tingly music, but it's overshadowed by that kind of gleam of hopefulness that, you know, that it's like, hmm. it, it's mysterious. Is this going to be another confrontation or is this going to be something more? And it was that, that moment I was like, Ooh, this is, this is great. This is fantastic. But the rest of it was a little overshadowed. Yeah. How did you read that? Is that a peace offering between two kind of warriors? Or is it just I'm giving you this weapon of destruction as uh, an offering so that I can have safe passage back to the water one last time? I don't know. Okay. I don't know because there is a line. And again, I had to rewind it a few times. And I'm not quite sure what she says. But she says, I need to see it or you mm. one more time. Okay. And at that point, I was like, wait, is the long boy a personification of all of the horrors that Scott has like dreamt up in his life? And this is sort of like her staring at it in the face and then handing off the shovel. Like, I wasn't quite sure what the intent behind this was. And I don't know if that's purposeful or if it's supposed to be left up to interpretation. But I, yeah. I was a little, I'm not 100% sure because I just started thinking, okay, why is the moon red again? Oh, God, the moon. <laughs> <laughs> if this is OK, if the booyah moon is the thing that all like creative people tap into, mm -hmm. why is it so empty? 
Why is yeah. the, the the Coliseum of of people staring off into the sea? Why is there not that many people in it? Is it right. regional? What what is the what is the <laughs> mechanics behind like Nazbuya Moon? Because at first I was like, is this all dreamt up by Scott? I was like, no, because it can't be because we talk about the shrouds being people mm-hmm. that have died and are stuck here. It's like, oh yeah, we get a whole conversation in it in this final episode, which yes, also amounts to nothing. Nothing, absolutely nothing. Thanks for the two extra minutes of screen time. <laughs> Learn nothing from it. And so I was I, I sat here and instead of like being like in awe of this really fantastic uh, creature design creature design, I was sitting here going, what, what? are you? <laughs> <laughs> what exactly is this? Yeah, I was definitely getting some weird like BFG moments as mm. well. It felt very almost children's story-esque and again i thought okay lazy story there could have been so much to do with fantasy and fairy tales and what we make of creativity and how that informs us and like almost a, a physical relationship that we have with our creative impulses and again the story just does not want to go there no i'm reflecting back on our experiences over these eight episodes and i can't help but think you know what I didn't love everything about it, but I would almost happily watch a couple episodes spinoff just saying, you have questions about the Booyah Moon. Let's tell a little story about somebody interacting with this and engaging with it for the first time and discovering what it's made of and how to navigate it. Like not to tell a small part of a larger story to just be like, what is this world? How does it work? I would love that. I'd love to see some kind of short episodic story about what this place is because it is a very interesting creation i love Mm -hmm. this design of it and unfortunately a lot of times my questions about it overshadow my questions about the human drama yeah which is unfortunate but it also shows like how interesting this booyah moon this ridiculously named place (laughs) actually is and i I just i you're right i would love to see something that kind of delves a little bit more into that kind of world building aspect of it. Cause it, it is a world that could be ripe for exploring, I think. Oh yeah. 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 So Terry, this brings to an end Lizzie's story. Do you want to give this a rating for the season? Oh boy. Yeah. Gosh. You know, this is a show that had some really high highs. I when it was yeah. when it was working, it was like I was absolutely engaged and I was mm-hmm. loving what it did. I loved the opening ominous, like a mysterious beginning to this to the season. I know we kind of differed a little bit, but I really loved the flashback with Scott and his and his brother and his family because right. that was horrific. I loved the climactic, uh, the the penultimate episode and the climactic mm, battle. Mm-hmm. There were moments in here that I was like, this is a fantastic show. I just can't help but think how much it would have been better if it was more condensed or if we had spent more time developing Lisi as a character. Because I still at the very end of this, and we've harped on this too much but i still at the very end of this do not know who she is as a person i only see no. her as filtered through scott landon's eyes yeah and that is unfortunate so uh, i think as a whole I'm, I'm giving it a c okay some episodes were a's some episodes yes. were d's yeah i can't quite give it a b what about no. you 
I was thinking the same thing because I've, I've been kind of pondering this all day. I, I got up first thing in the morning and I said, okay, it's a long episode. Watch it now before you go to work and so on. So I've been sitting with this episode all day and just thinking, this is actually kind of a representative sample of what the whole mm. show is like. Those opening 10 minutes, so good, so enjoyable, so fascinating, great mixture of drama and horror, and then some funny stuff with the sisters, but also a bunch of stuff that just didn't quite make sense, didn't coalesce, didn't quite work. Some iffy acting choices by Julianne Moore and Clive Owen. Everything ended up coming about halfway to me. So I ended up being like, yeah, this is about a two and a half out of five or somewhere between a C, C plus, which is disappointing because I am thinking back on some of the conversations we've had. You're right. When the show was firing, it was really working for us. There were just too many points where it needed to be tighter. It needed to be clearer. It needed to be more focused on lazy. That's the simple gist of it. Yeah, I can't. I can't disagree with that. Yeah. Hmm. But remember, Joe, a flower blossoms for its own joy. (sighs) Thank you, Oscar Wilde. I do not like it when shows open with quotations that try to make them seem deep. It's It's unnecessary. It's so pretentious. Yes. Yeah. But at least this was still better than the finale of The Stand. We can agree on that. (laughs) (laughs) I would rather watch this again than any of the single episodes of The Stand. I'm, oh I'm, I'm, I'm confident in saying, put that on the poster. There, there we go. Selling your, your future Blu-ray release of Lazy Story. Better than <laughs> any single episode of The Stand. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, folks, this brings to an end our journey into Lazy Story. Terry and I haven't quite decided what the future will bring for Nightmares and Dreamscapes. We're going to keep our eyes on future Stephen King adaptations, and we may return in some form in the future, but uh, we're not ready to say just what yet. You know, we're going to float it around like Jim Dooley body parts in a pool. (laughs) But in the meantime, Terry, if folks want to get a hold of you to talk to you about any outstanding aspect of Lizzie's story how would they get a hold of you uh you'd be able to reach out to me on twitter at gaily dreadful and joe if they want to tell you a bedtime story that's not focused about the character that it's supposedly about where can they find you <laughs> i'll be in the booyah moon bitches <laughs> aka twitter <laughs> right yeah mm. <laughs> it's its own dirty cesspool <laughs> you can get a hold of me at b stole my remote and that's the letter b and once again thanks to the anatomy of a screen pod squad network for hosting the show it has been a real pleasure doing this with you terry we get to hang out on a weekly basis regardless but it's been fun to have something to kind of center the conversation around yeah, absolutely. This is, uh, you know, for all of the negativity that we've had sometimes about <laughs> this, this show, this has been great. And I am so glad that you have something like the Anatomy of a Screen Pod Squad for stuff like this that are potentially limited to series and maybe more. So thank you for, for hosting yeah. us. Folks, if you've enjoyed this kind of thing, you could be doing this yourself because, of course, we're always on the hunt for new limited series. So uh, feel free to pitch the network if you've got a cool idea. Yes, absolutely. All right. Well, without further ado, let's uh, slink back into the Booyah Moon for one final time, Terry, as we bid adieu to nightmares and dreamscapes for now. For now. 
Pod Squad.